My name is Tom, and I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm just a guitar player. So um, if I say anything that's full nonsense, Pastor Scott will fix it next week. So it'll, it'll, be, a, it'll be a good weekend, and I'm just so honored to, to be with every single one of you today. You know, I, I was a kid. I, <clears throat> I want, I, well, you know, before I get into that story, we, we, we've been in this mixtape series, and last week, one of our pastors, Pastor David, gave an excellent talk about calling, and I thought I would further it a little bit more about what a calling is, because calling, that's a real loaded word. It's one that's really heavy, and it's loaded in a sense where if I say, what are you called to, a lot of people would have a different kind of definition or a, or a description of, of, what it, of what it might be and how you could find that in your life. And I've been wrestling with a few things lately, specifically on that topic, and there used to be a time where young men and young women would come to pastors and say, what do you think my calling is in my life? But they don't ask anymore. They don't come to the people who are actually doing the thing. What they do is they go and they go to their Google boxes, which is what I call phones, and then they start looking at the highlight reels of all these other people who are on the internet and who are killing it. And they're looking at all of the highlights and the scripts that they're saying and the lights and the genes and the, oh my goodness. And then they get really caught up into what somebody else is doing and they get inspiration. And then they say, through that inspiration, that's what I want to do. And then they're called to it. And nary do they speak out wisdom. They just kind of get into it. The way that I got into it was a bunch of people telling me my entire life, little Tommy, literally in elementary school in the first grade, you're going to be a pastor someday. Your whole life, you're going to be a pastor someday. I asked Jesus into my heart Halloween night, 1988, which my kids take that to mean in the ancient times. Okay, I see you nodding your head. Yes. Oh, they think, they just think daddy is so old, and I am. So, except for the rest of you who think I'm not old and you coughed at that, it's going to be okay. But I was told the whole time, and when I asked Jesus Christ into my heart, I was so on fire for Jesus from the get-go. My father, who was an alcoholic, I asked Jesus Christ into my heart, and I immediately stood up and went to my father, who I don't think was intoxicated that night, but I couldn't really tell. I was in the first grade, and I laid my hands on him, and I prayed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that the Lord would move on his life and set him free. I don't know where it came from, because we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit in my church because we were super Baptist. So, I, like, we, that's a joke, Baptist. I, I'm a Baptist, too. It's just okay. All right. It's just to be playful. But I, for me, I just really thought, like, that's just how you prayed. You should lay hands on people who was moved. And I was so excited because I went to a wonderful Christian school, and I went to my first grade teacher, Mrs. Pinnegar. And I said, Mrs. Pinnegar, I asked Jesus into my heart last night, and she said, Tommy, that's wonderful. How do you know? So I gave her the gospel, too, and I was ready to save Mrs. Pinnegar. And I said, well, first you need to repent because you're a sinner. And because there's sin in your life, only Jesus can save that sin. And you need to ask him into your heart so that he will own your life and be in total control. And she's like, I got it, dude. I shouldn't say dude, but she's like, I got it. When do you want to be baptized? I'm like, fill the tank. Let's go, baby. And I was baptized that next Sunday. And when I got baptized that Sunday, you get this little tidbit. I didn't give it to the other service. I shared the gospel again. And I didn't ask my pastor to baptize me because he scared me because he was bald. So I asked my school principal, who was a believer. I don't know why I thought bald people were scary. Maybe it was the reflection. And, and he said, now, Tommy, why, have you, why are you here today to get baptized? And I said, because I believe that I was a sinner and I was destined for hell and only Jesus is. And he's like, I got a kid. Poof, and he pumped me under. My pastor still wants to toss me under the water to shut me up sometimes. I get it. If you're not praying for our senior pastor, you think you know what he's going through. He's got to work with us every day. <laughs> and it doesn't stop talking. 
My whole life I was told that, that that's going to happen. And then people started saying things to me. The first time I led somebody to Jesus was in the third grade. His name was Troy. And I explained that we were playing this game called Lifeguard. We were in a swimming pool together. And the game was somebody would pretend to drown. We didn't have a Nintendo yet. We would pretend to drown. And then somebody would jump in and rescue you. And I'm like, perfect time for an illustration. And I explained to him that we are drowning in our sin. And Jesus, the great lifeguard, goes into the water to rescue us. But in the midst of that process of bringing us out of the water, he too drowned and died for us. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't stay drowned. He got up from the water and walked out, and he loves you, Troy. Would you like to ask him into your heart? And he said, yeah. And then his parents flipped out. <laughs> they were like, what did this kid, this neighbor kid, the weird one, you know him. And they're like, oh, Tommy, huh? What did he say to my kid? And then they went to my neighbors, who they didn't know were believers. My neighbors are clarifying that now with their giant neon cross on their chimney outside. <laughs> I still look them up on Google Maps and Pam and Larry are still rocking it. And they went in there to do what all good Americans love to do and all good people to do. They went over there to gossip and said what Pam and Larry did. They said, actually, Tommy was absolutely right. And then they led mom and dad to Christ. And then mom and dad went and led grandpa to Christ. And I'm like, boom, let's go. And I told my third grade teacher all about it. And she was a pastor's wife, and Mrs. Cindy Mullings said, Tommy, I foresee in your future someday, I haven't picked up a guitar yet in my story, I foresee you someday preaching in front of thousands of people. I can't wait to see it happen. The Lord has blessed you and he's called you. Third grade. Third grade. Oh, wow. What does a third grader do? I start picturing the silver dome filled and people coming around with me in my awesome double-breasted suit just giving the word, okay? Like, I thought it was going to be great. And I'm called to it. And then eventually at that same church, the first time I'm allowed to speak, the greatest thing happened the first time they let me say words out loud in front of my church. People laughed at my jokes. Oh, baby, that was good. Oh, I just loved that so much. And I'm like, so I'll be the funny pastor, and I'll preach to thousands, and they will come to hear my amazing sermons and my many jokes. And it, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and then eventually I get a chance to preach. Uh, the first time, because I go to a Christian school, and they let me preach. I think it was a social studies class, because that makes a lot of sense. And I got to get up, and I preach. And uh, I'll just tell you that I used to have Comedy Central as a kid, so I stole the first 15 minutes of my sermon was just jokes that I'd stolen off some comedian that were clean. And then, uh, and then a sermon, and I preached for 48 minutes in the seventh grade. <laughs> now, the head of the middle school, instead of saying, don't let that windbag ever preach again, says, let's put him in front of the whole school. Let's get this guy in front of a crowd. So... That's what happens is I get up and I preach to my middle school and the trick that I had learned and I, is I actually had somebody in the back hold up a stop sign when I needed to wrap things up. And I preached on respect. And one of the bullies came up after me because I was a large child, came up to me and apologized for bullying me and said, I won't let it happen to you anymore. And Tim stood on my behalf to make sure that I wasn't messed with. I saw the Lord change somebody's life that I thought was unchangeable and I was and then my house burns down, which I don't recommend. We lost everything, and then I get a guitar out of the deal, and the rest is history. I start leading worship based on it, and I just have in my head, and I keep being told over and over again, you are going to be in front of thousands. You are going to be in front of thousands, and it wasn't happening. What kind of mind 
messed up thing do you think that that would be? If everybody said, you're going to do amazing things someday. I met with my old pastor and he said, Tom, I always believed that if with your potential, the sky was a limit. Well, sky was the limit, man. You're just going to go on to do amazing things. He told me that recently. So in my heart, I'm doing now what every person in their 40s and 50s starts doing, and you start asking questions like, what went wrong? Uh, not that I don't love what I'm doing or believe that this ministry is important, but I, like quick head count, there aren't thousands in the room now. What happened? And why am I playing guitar and I pick four songs on a Sunday and then there's lyrics up there and it's really pretty and some of you like it and some of you don't, and then I go home at the end of the day for the most epic Sunday nap. Oh, get in ministry if you love a Sunday nap because, whoa, baby, it's good. But it wasn't happening. So in my head, I was like, what, what did I do wrong? What did I mess up? It must be because of my character. It must be because of my skills. It must be the fact that every single employer that I've ever had has found me very frustrating. I get it, because I have opinions. And at some point, the cheers in my life were replaced, and you've experienced this too, the cheers and belief in you got replaced with expectations. And their expectations became my job description, and the vision in my life became people-pleasing instead of people-serving. And I was lost because I realized that I just wasn't enough for anyone. And the turning point in my faith has been a few of the things that I'm going to share today. Because I just believe that sometimes you just need to hear from a guy who's working it out. And that's who I am. I love Jesus and I want to make his name known all over the world. But y'all, if you want a perfect worship pastor, I don't know, Google somebody. But it's not here. I love Christ, but I definitely was feeling like, well... Life is on the downslope now, and that dream will never come true. And of course, there are questions like, what was it, or anything like that, or why did you do it? But here's a few things that I've learned. That your calling starts and ends with your character if you're taking notes, and not your achievements. Well, what, are, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? What am I supposed to do? What job am I supposed to take? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What's God's will for my life, and what am I going to do? And then you get a dream... Or then you get a hero that you look up to. But the truth is, is that your calling starts and ends with your character and not your achievements. We get so caught up in what we're called to do when the Lord is developing your heart to be connected to his. And listen, you want to be on board with whatever the Lord is doing instead of him being on board with your plan. Because you do not have enough room in your boat for him. So get on to his. When you lose the heart focus, you can miss or forfeit your life's greatest work, which is loving Jesus by loving people. And I want to talk about power. True power. We don't like power. We don't like authority. Now, in my generation growing up in the early 2000s, as far as kind of figuring out what adulthood is supposed to look like, you know, bills, mortgages, anxiety, all that good stuff for for growing up, uh, we kind of stopped trusting leaders. And now, we don't just not trust leaders, we set them up and we wait for them to fail, and then we just knock them off the podium because they're supposed to be at a higher higher level with a higher expectation. And then we just knock them down and shut them down. And and that's kind of all we're looking for, is we're just all evaluating things right now, and we don't trust power, and we're waiting for someone to screw it up. Hmm. You know what's really wild for me is all the guys that I looked up to, some of the guys at least, all but really one, have all fallen 
and none of them are in full-time ministry anymore. Not in the same. Almost, almost every single one of them. The guys that I like really looked up to, I mean, they were the ones, I just, like, this is going to sound so nerdy, but I'm a nerd for preachers, okay? I remember my pastor with his green dockers on and his leather jacket with his church keys, which just let me tell you, holy smokes, that was what I was most excited about and kick it off ministry was I got keys to the building. <laughs> the things that I could do and did do and was addressed. Like, I just looked up to them and I wanted to be like them. And most of them aren't doing it anymore because pressure's hard. The guys who would talk about sexual purity cheated on their wives. The guys who thought about compassion were the most judgmental and got busted for it. And their lives fell apart. Because at some point, it became about the highlight reel and not about their character. But Jesus was the most powerful person that has ever walked our planet. And I don't know what you think about Jesus, but I would just say it's worth researching a person who in three years changed the world forever. You and I cannot change the world. Steve Jobs didn't change the world. I, as much as we love to, to, to say, like, attaboy Steve Jobs, I mean, the iPhone still is not completely adopted by most of the world. And most of the world, until recently, didn't even have access to cell towers. But the cell phone guy and the computer guy, like, changed it. No, he didn't. Enhanced, maybe. Made us think differently, maybe, but didn't change it. But Jesus, in three years, without traveling more than just a, a basic circumference mile, changes everything. And all he did was miracles and love and teaching. And he was powerful. He scared people. He was so powerful. They were amazed at his authority is what the Gospels tell us. And John chapter 13, I think, gives you and I a quick glance of what it is to have a powerful calling. So I'm going to start in John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. But now he showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So what was happening at that point in time is what you wore was who you are. You basically wore things that would explain it. And Jesus, being a rabbi and considered a great teacher, had special garments that were on. He had tassels that were hanging from him. They represented stories and his faith. It was a full representation of him. And he takes it all off when he's showing them exactly who he is and what he is there to do. You see, Jesus laid down, if you're taking notes, the culture's power and influence. Think about who's in the room right now. It just told us about Judas. To love his faithful friends, his traitors, and his biggest disappointment. Go to verse 6, Devin. I know I'm having you all over the place here. Jesus, as he's doing this, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? 
Peter is like my homeboy. I love studying this guy. Peter the mouth is what I would probably start calling him. Because he was always talking and he was always trying to prove how he was the most loving and he was the most faithful and he was the one who should be the leader of it all. And he was looking for some sort of respect from James and John who are called the sons of thunder. Thunder respects nobody, okay? But for him, he is just desperate for attention and respect and he is going to show God that he is, he gets it, man. I see what you're doing. I know what you're up to. I can read between the lines. I got you. You're not going to wash my feet. This is a trick. Now, Peter probably grew up in a youth group like mine. I don't know if you grew up going to youth group or any kind of student ministry, but what all of my youth pastors did, they trapped you. And they would ask you things like, how do you know that somebody loves you? And I would point around the room and you raise your hand and be like, oh, it's a uh, it's their kind. Yeah, kindness. Right, I'll write that on the board. But we all know that that's not the real answer. And then the pastor will take all these answers, and you got to learn. You shut your mouth when the pastor starts calling out for answers because he's got a secret answer. That's the whole point of his sermon that you couldn't figure out, and you feel like a big dummy. Am I only speaking to like three of you right now? Because that was my youth group experience constantly. So Peter's like, I got it, I got it, I know where you're going to go. I'm going to wash your feet. And Jesus, being the patient Lord, says, Jesus replied, in verse 7, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. He laid it all down. He took off his rabbinical robes. Your clothing and your status was everything. And he laid aside man's status. I'm going to go to verse 8. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has laid a bath, who has had a bath, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. <laughs> For he knew who was going to betray him. I just wonder if Jesus like turned and made eye contact. Not all of you. Whoa. And that was why he said not everyone's clean. Verse 12. I'm going to go to all the way to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher, verse 13, and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent me. Verse 17, and now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, when Jesus is washing his disciples' feet at any point in time, Jesus could have started addressing concerns and problems with every one of his disciples. He could have said, Peter, your temper is a real problem, buddy. John, your sensitivity is going to get you into trouble. Judas, you've got Satan in your ear. He could have said, you this, you that. He could have been really addressing things. He could have been laying out his frustrations with them. I mean, he's washing their feet. He's got them by the toes, dude. He could have said anything that he absolutely wanted, and he doesn't. Instead, he shows them, and he demonstrates love. It's easy to see what can really happen. If you spend more time weighing the quality of others instead of washing them as they already are, you have missed the weight of God's grace in your own life. 
And it's easy to see how others do or do not measure up. But the crucified and resurrected Jesus calls us to do the hard thing, which is laying down your power to lift others up. There's probably people in your life who need a lot of correction. They've got issues. According to your evaluation, their issues are strong and need to be addressed. But I will tell you that a washed foot will go a lot further for God's kingdom than a foot measured by you and I. I I guess the real question is, do you have time in your life to evaluate the works of others, or do you have some purpose to get to? What is your great purpose? Now, Peter, I get. I I certainly have questions about him. I mean, the guy was, you know, aggro, as the kids would say. He was an aggressive dude. He chopped off a guy's ear because he's like, the Roman army, um, got your ear. Like, I don't know what his plan was or what he thought he was going to do, but I kind of get why he was uncomfortable with Jesus washing his feet because I'm a servant too. I know there's nobody else in the room that has any problems asking for help. Is there anybody else here? Because for me, I have a real hard time asking for help. Part of why I have a hard time asking for help is because sometimes the help that I need are these meaningful tasks that then I'm going to now pull away you from having time with your family for you to come and tape a thing down. It's hard. It's just hard to do. And then it leads to late nights and difficulty. And I just, I really, really struggle with that. The problem is is that sometimes washing somebody else's feet is letting them work. It's asking them to do the small thing. Literally, Jesus demonstrates that some of the most powerful things that you are ever going to do are some of the most humble acts, and it's just so darn difficult to do it. Sometimes humbling yourself is saying, I can't do it, but according to our Jesus, you are enough if you are in him. Point number four, if you're taking notes, because I want to keep on moving. I want you to realize that everyone is on a journey that only God understands. So be gentle. Book of Galatians tells us to restore one another gently. Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to be in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God's working people out. God will work people out. You just wash their feet. Take care of them. Love on them. And make sure that you know that that is God at work in them. And then you and I are simply supposed to love them. I like to give an illustration of what I, how I think ministry can and should potentially work is that sometimes I think that the church should be more like a salon that you walk into, but the Holy Spirit is the one who does the cutting. I just want to be good to people. I want to love them. I'll speak and proclaim the word of truth, and I will let the word of truth do the work. But when I start evaluating people instead of pastoring people, I have lost the plot, and I'm looking for a crowd, not for a foot to wash. And I'm done looking for crowds. I'm done looking for crowds. I'm just looking for you. How can we serve you? How can we bless you? Now, if you want to take that, you can start looking at the person washing your feet and be like, I don't like the way that they did it. I prefer a loofah. <laughs> loofah Christian Church is right down the street on Van Dyke. Uh, I don't know, the pastor, like, it's, I mean, he's fine. I just kind of, you know, like, whatever. I mean, the, the slides, you know, sometimes it's just... <laughs> 
When you are starting to just evaluate how your feet are getting washed, you forgot what it's like to get in between somebody's toes and get to work. Get to work. It's all so small. Now, for me, let's just say that in my 20s, I would have had some crazy breakthrough moment, and then all of a sudden, 10,000 people are showing up. What's interesting is that there are mega churches all over the world. I heard a statistic who was, who was told to me in, a few years ago, and he said if you took all of the mega churches in the country and put them together, you still would not reach the entire state of Michigan. Mega churches are a joke. So, so a joke as far as like who is proclaiming more or another. We are just trying to fight against darkness, and the greatest tool is us being less. Your legacy in life, even if you did head a crowd, point number five, will be brief unless it's attached to God's glory. And if you don't believe me, walk into a cemetery and you tell me what percentage of those names you've heard of. Because some of those people were very significant in the eyes of the world, but they're still gone from here. I believe that the most faithful people in this world Number six, are people that you and I have not heard of. The people who have made some of the most significant impact, who have done some of the loved, who have loved some of the most difficult of these, who are the ones who can love some of the, as we call in ministry, a little extra grace required folks. The ones who have been that and loved that are probably never going to have a platform, but they certainly did love people. If you want to follow Jesus, he got Lo, he was not lifted up until he was ascended by his father. Now he sits at the right hand of the father, where he eventually invites you and I. But I don't know what motivates you. I don't know what calls you forward or what makes you think that you have a calling. But I would just tell you that if, it, if part of you thinks that you're going to grow and you're going to get to a place, and if you follow this, you're going to prove somebody wrong, don't do it for the haters. Do it for the one person who knows you and loves you. I'm telling you, if you're going to get to work and you're going to really want to know what it is to be a Christian, it's you being less, not you being more, not you ever being respected. And I will tell you that the greatest compliment you can ever give another man, a man-to-man -man compliment, the best one you can do, is that we long for admiration. We want to be admired. And let me just tell you, just like the robes of Christ where he was known as a great rabbi, you can take that off, tie it around your waist, and use it to dry somebody up instead of saying, what do you deserve? I would say that the person who is looking for what they believe they deserve has forgotten what they deserve. That is hell, an eternal separation from your loving God. It is gone. Come back to your first love. Oh, they don't get how talented you are. They don't get what you've done. Then you don't get what he's done. Which is everything. Which he's come into the world. And listen, I'm not angry. I'm just desperate to just remember what it is like to take off the mantles and all of the robe and to lay it down. Because even if you get wonderful credit, you're going to lay your crown down at his feet anyways. Lay it down now. Lay it down now. And if you want to find out what Jesus is going to do in your legacy, just attach it to his name 
and you get to be on the end credits of his movie, whatever the key grip is, maybe you get to do that. <laughs> I just beg of you to understand that if he is going to increase and he has called you to make his name great, then your name might not ever be known at all. And praise the Lord for it. Because the most faithful people are the ones that you haven't heard of. John chapter, thir chapter 13, verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Somebody asked me about two years ago. He was going through a really hard time. And he's saying, I just want to know if the Lord is going to bless me. And I said, what does blessing look like? And he said, success. And I said, he does not promise your success. He promises his name and his presence. Well, I want to know if he's going to bless me. Stop treating God like he is some sort of economy that you can make trades with. And do not put him in your debt. Your bank account's not big enough. Don't put him in your life and try to fit him into your plan. I've lost a lot of weight. And every once in a while I go to Kohl's and I go to that clinic section and I start looking at those size 32s. I'm in a 34 on a good day if I hadn't have any water, okay? And I, I, like, so I start looking at them and I'm like, maybe I'm going to get them on. And then one time I didn't realize that it was a pair of youths. So I'm like trying to like get into them and I'm like, I looked ridiculous. And this is what's happening is a bunch of guys going around saying, call me significant Jesus. And we look ridiculous. You want to be surrounded with significance and calling in your life? Lay it down. They may not know your name, but if you are proclaiming his, you are attached to the name that is above every name. And it's worth it. Peter looks at this moment and he never forgets it. So that later on, Jesus asks him so simply, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? And at that point, Peter's feelings are hurt. Don't hurt a pastor's feelings. We're sensitive. Then feed my sheep. What are you called to? No, 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 no. Who are you called to be? A foot washer in all of its glory, in its filth, and its stink. And I, I would just say this, what better way to walk a mile in someone else's shoes than spending time cleaning their feet instead of assessing their quality? I, I'm going to talk to just Christians for a second, but y'all can listen in. My wife and I are learning a really tough lesson lately that we are not responsible for fixing anyone else, everyone else's problems. <laughs> I don't know who that preaches to today. Some people have their problems to work out. And you could be worried about your life or what your calling is or if your life has any meaning or significance, but why? When you give your life to Jesus, it's his problem, not yours. I literally had a prayer today. Where I was walking in and I was just saying like, Lord, I got this going on. And then I was like, you know what? All of this mess, good luck. This is your issue now. <laughs> and I just kept walking. I don't got to fix every problem. I certainly can't fix me. I've been trying. It's not going well. So I would rather just say, will you wash my feet and present somebody whose feet I can wash? What's happening in the room right now when he's washing feet? He's literally, you know, I believe that you should look a bully in the eye and say, I see you. Satan is in the room. Literally his betrayer. 
It says that Satan was upon Judas. Another translation said that Judas was literally possessed by the devil. And there he is, knowing and still washing. And there are some people in your life where you have written them off because they didn't live up to whatever. Or maybe you've been written off. Maybe you thought your calling was lost, any potential you had because, you know, you can't preach like Scott. So I'm never going to be that. I can't be, a, you know, a great worship leader. You know, we were talking to uh, um, this, uh, this church assessment company, and they were kind of helping us make sure that we were on the right path as far as how we do ministry here. And we said, you know, one of the problems that we have is we got a lot of rock stars here. Like, who's going to ever love somebody the way that our youth pastor Jonah loves? That guy is just full of hugs. I don't know what that dude's made out of. But I'll never be as smart as David. I'll never be as organized as Pastor Chris. I will never be able to preach and lead the way that Scott does. But what I can do is wash some feet and just be faithful. And one of the things that really set me free as a worship pastor here was this stopped being my platform and you became my people. Just love the people who are in here. Just love them. Whoever shows up, whoever has the audacity to get up in the morning, especially when it's their day off, and to get over here, and then to sit in this room for an hour and seven minutes, wash their feet, love on them. Anybody else who would be online watching us instead of watching something awesome on Netflix, wash their feet. Love these people. Love them well. See, when you give your life to Jesus, it's his problem, not yours. So let him deal with it. Peter didn't want to be washed. Maybe you don't think you're worthy either. You do not know better than my Jesus does. You do not know better than my Jesus does. Point number seven, humility is the doorway to grace and compassion. A great difference maker for the gospel has always been somebody who has grace and compassion. What do you want your life to mean? I think that's the prayer that you and I should be offering to the Lord. What do you want your life to mean? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. We are called to be less so that his name can be more. If you are called by God to do something, know that it is more so about who he has called you to be than what he has called you to be. The what, it can work itself out. Now for me, being where I'm at at this point in my life, I thought it was going to happen in my 20s, maybe my 30s. I thought my marriage would be perfect. I just thought if I prayed the right way, said the right thing, did the right thing, but those things have not come to be for me. What has come is an opportunity to stop and just say, oh, but my Jesus, my King, I am grateful for you. I love you. And I'm going to love you by loving them. And if that is not on your radar right now, May you adjust and fixate and say, Lord, what do you want to do with your life? Because my life is yours. What's your will for your life? Be brave, be faithful, and understand that the posture of Jesus Christ 
isn't this. It's this. He literally says, you do not even understand what I'm up to. Do you feel misunderstood? Welcome. Welcome. Creator of the world. Nobody got him either. But you can have him here. Welcome. Because that path is on your knees. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray together, asking for your love. I just love it how in that verse, in the beginning of chapter 13, the connection of your power came when you had fulfilled your love towards these disciples. May we be your disciples today and go out into this world preaching your name, our good foot-washing shepherd.